Hey, so we are in this season of Lent. Uh, this is the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday. And just uh, to understand it, Lent is actually, um, you know, a man-made uh, tradition, and it's not Catholic. It is the idea, this this 40 days, it is the idea, you know, um, Moses um, was, was uh, you know, the, 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 the ark and um, the... We have Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and we see the, the temptation and yada, yada. So 40 has a, a symbolic meaning. And so we have adopted it as Christians with the idea that the 40 days leading up to Easter is an opportunity in a very small way to share in the suffering of Christ. So when we think about giving up something, now, I don't think giving up chocolate is exactly the same as being beaten and dying on a cross, okay? So I I don't want to in any way soften that, but it's the idea, and I'm going to be talking with the Awanas kids tonight, um, but the idea that when we do give up something, that when we want that, we we take that moment um, to thank God for who he is, what he's done, what he's suffered, that I'm a believer, that we take that time to focus on the cross. And I would go a step further, and the time of Lent is also a time to add things in our life. You know, we have the sin of omission and commission. Is there something we're omitting from our life that you know, maybe we're to be more loving, more forgiving. Um, maybe we're to start serving, um, you know, how, whatever it is, but it's that time leading up to Lent. And what it's interesting, if you count between today and Easter, it's more than 40 days. And the reason is we don't count the Sundays because the Sundays are like little mini resurrection days. So it's 40 days minus the Sundays leading up to, it's just kind of an interesting factoid, but I, I love the idea of, of the ashes. I love the idea of looking at the suffering of Christ and, and humbly realizing, you know, from the ashes, we have come and to the ashes, we will return every single one of us. That's from Genesis 319. And that's really what it is, is humbling ourselves and focusing on the suffering servant who is indeed the triune God. Amen. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me, please? God, in these moments, I pray that you would be glorified, that we would find our satisfaction in you. God, we want to ask that um, your holy word would just shine into our hearts. And we pray that you, your name would receive all the glory, honor, and praise. You are the triune holy God. You willingly suffered and died, and yet by your own holiness and power, you rose again on the third day, and you conquered sin, Satan, and death. And so, God, we thank you that you have broken the power of sin over our life, and we pray that you would show us where maybe we are living under that slavery instead of living victorious lives in you. We just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I don't know if you heard the story of, uh, it was Ash Wednesday, and this thief walks up to a man and he holds him up and he says, give me all your money. (laughs) The guy says, well, you know, here's a newsflash. I'm a pastor and I don't have a lot of money, but what I do have, I will give you. 
somebody just gave me a bunch of chocolates and I'll give you all those chocolates. And, and this thief, this robber was offended and, and looked at the, the pastor and said, how dare you? I gave chocolate up for Lent. <laughs> you know, it's funny about sin and what holds us and, and what, where, where we are blinded. Um, and so today in this, um, passage in this uh, study, the question is why Christians obey God? Why do Christians obey God? That, that is uh, with Tim Keller, who's one of my uh, all-time favorite, uh, he and his wife, Kathy. Um, he actually spoke at one of our eco conferences when we were first beginning, and he's just, uh, you know, God has just used him in wonderful ways. Anyway, so why Christians obey God? And I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, it is in our best interest. It is actually in our best interest. There's something called, I don't know if you know what the hedonism is. You know, we think of hedonism as a very bad thing. Hedonism is a kind of the pursuit of, of worldly things. It's the pursuit of things that we think will give us happiness and joy, right? Well, John Piper, some years ago, and he really got this from Dan Fuller, whose father, Charles Fuller, uh, founded Fuller Seminary. It's called Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism is this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And the idea of Christian hedonism is that obeying God is actually in our best interest. It really is. I know we'd all be happy if we lost 20 pounds. I know we'd all be happy if we had the latest this or that, or or if our spouse changed or or our children. But ultimately, our greatest satisfaction is found in a relationship, in growing in holiness and righteousness. But see, sin lures us. It does this, you know? I mean, sin never starts out by saying, you know, let's give you a picture of hell and a, you know, an ugly old Satan. Rather, it lures you. I mean, think about advertisements. What is the whole purpose of advertisements? It's to convince us that there is something out there that, that we need. I mean, there's something that if I possess the latest this or that, it, it would finally satisfy that place. I mean, we don't maybe think that way, but, but that's the purpose of advertisement. And I think it's kind of funny because some of those advertisements for medications on TV, I mean, it'll just talk about how, you know, it's just a wonder drug. And then it says, oh, and by the way, the side effects is you could possibly have a stroke. You could go blind and drive off a cliff. Uh, you might start having diarrhea in the middle of a woman's Bible study. Or, you know, I mean, it's like, who would take that bit? You know, but if we really, truly look at walking in a way that doesn't please God, it's not in our best interest, even though in the temporary, sure feels good, doesn't it? You don't think though I do. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't really now that I'm so sanctified. No, but the truth is the reason sin has that allure is because it promises in the short term. So why Christians obey God? I want to say, first and foremost, it's in our best interest. When we say to our child or our grandchild, when you say to Caleb one day, hey, you know what, Caleb, let's not put our hand on that hot stove. Are you trying to keep him from something? Yes. You're trying to keep him from harm. You know, you know what, Caleb, let's eat this mushed up spinach. 
Are, are you a bad mom? No. You know that he, in the same way, following God is in our best interest. And I'll tell you, it's much better than, than mushed spinach. I actually like spinach, but you know, it, my husband hates it when I put kale. I try and hide kale in the smoothie. You can't hide kale in a smoothie. I will tell you an aside. I haven't thought about this, but when my kids were young, I put peas in pancakes. And they ate them, you know, and they still talk about how terrible that was. I'm like, yeah, you only know because I told you that when you were older. It didn't hurt you. Anyway, so here is a question that the Apostle Paul asks. Can't I just keep on sinning? I mean, can't I just do it? I mean, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, right? Can't I just keep on sinning? Well, what's the answer? Anybody read Romans 6.1? What's the answer? How many people think it's yes? I know. Okay, you didn't read the book. How many people know it's, how, how many of you wish that it was yes? So this is, it's from the message. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? What a great theology. I'm just helping God out. You know, I, I just shown his glory of the way he can forgive such a sinner as myself. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, see, I love this picture. I mean, just if, if, if we once lived in this country where Satan and death and sin and darkness ruled, but, but we've moved by, by the blood of Jesus Christ into this new place of sovereign grace, how can we still live in our old house? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. We're actually having a baptism this Sunday. I'm really excited about when we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. And that's symbolic. A new life in a new land. Can we keep on sinning? Yes. Do we keep on sinning? Well, yes, nobody's perfect yet. You know, we're... See, there's a lie from the pits of hell that says this. You know what? You're living life for yourself and you take this little interruption and you come into relationship with God. And then you know what? You just go back and do whatever you want. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Now, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, or we are not saved at all. I mean, it says in Ephesians, it's very, very clear. You have been saved by faith. You've been saved by this grace, this undeserved gift, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so we can twist that and say, okay, but I'm saved by the blood that I can do whatever I want. No, because, but we have been created for good works. And there is this idea not an idea. It is the truth of scripture that there is justification where we are cleansed. Our name is written in the book of life and we are justified. But then there's that work of sanctification, that that work of the Holy Spirit in our life, making us more and more in his image. But the strategy of the devil, the strategy of this world, we are saved. Does it really make any difference how we live? And I just recently preached on the the thief on the cross. And we know he was a thief. And then in last minute, you know, he just acknowledges his need and sees his need for Christ, asks, going to enter into paradise. 
So we know God didn't say, get off the cross, start doing a bunch of good works, and then I'll think about saving you. No. So we know it's totally the gift of the Lord. But we are called then into a relationship that honors him. We are called then into a relationship where we are growing. In John 14, 15, it says we obey because we love him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? That's really a good question. Why do you call me mom? Why do you give me a present on Mother's Day that you don't do what I say? Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out our salva- your salvation with fear and trembling. So here there's this picture. This is absolutely true. And do not go away from here, not hearing this. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, or we are not saved at all. He does the work that covers sin. There's nothing we can do to pay him for sin. However, this idea that we can continue to live a life in the old country is a life in the pits of hell. And it is only empowered by him. And you'll, you know, move into that as more into Romans. But Paul says here, work out your salvation and fear and trepidation. He says in Timothy, when he knows he's going to die, what does he say? He says, the time has come for my departure. But I have fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. See, there is this picture in scripture that there is a battle all around us. Why do we have Ephesians 6? Why do we have this this whole chapter that talks about putting on the whole armor of God? (laughs) Because there's a battle. Does that mean we lose our salvation? No. But see, there is a battle that lures us, that tempts us. So you see, there we have this tension. We're totally saved by the blood. And yet God calls us into a life that glorifies him. And it is in our best interest. It really, truly, truly is. Life with Jesus is just better. And I think about this. You know, for our children, if you have a a child, you want the best for your child. You you want your child to go to the best school. You want your child to be picked first on the team. You want your child to get a good job. Oh, we can take that. We're not yet at that one. Okay, that'll that'll be in just one second. I need to move on. They're probably singing, Drea, moving along. Um, But the reality is, is the single most important thing for our children is that they walk with the living God. There is no iPhone There is no game, whatever. There's none of that that's more important. There's nothing that's more important in our own lives. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Um, So second is two masters. Can we have two masters? What do you think? Can we have two masters? Let's show the snake. See, isn't this disgusting? 
Two-headed snake. There's actually this skink, I think it's called, and it, they found it in Florida, and it's like on both ends. It's got a head. I know, isn't that disgusting? I know. I just, I'm totally, this is like, I mean, Satan, we have a, usually a picture of a snake, and I can see why. Um, but so here's the question. Can we serve two masters? Listen to uh, Romans 6, 12, and 13. So do not let sin have power over your body here on earth. This is from the New Living Version. You must not obey the body. Wait, yeah, you must not obey the body and let it do what it wants to do. Do not give any part of the body for sinful use. Instead, give yourself to God as a living person who has been raised from the dead. Give every part of your body to God to do what is right. Amen? We cannot serve two masters. We see that very clearly in Scripture. I mean, that's, that's not just a really good idea. That is the truth from Scripture. Jesus says, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Cannot serve God and something else. There's only one master, period. Everybody has a master. I don't care how important they think they are and they're the master of their, no, no, we all do. We cannot serve two. Second Peter 2.19, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. Okay. There's two masters, the world or the living God, and it is a choice. And so which one grows? It's the one we feed. It's the one we feed. Now, if you try and feed both, I just, you know, we try and straddle the fence. I'm a big Christian here, but now with my friends, I'm a little bit worldly. You know, I mean, no, it's the one you feed. The one you feed will grow. So I didn't ask my son for permission to this. There came a point when I was preaching. I preached for uh, 22 years at a church. 20, anyway, a uh, long time. And uh, there came a point where my kids would say, Mom, we don't want to hear what illustration about us that you use when we're out in the courtyard between services, okay? Talk it through with us. Make sure you got the details in place. Yeah, anyway. So, but I will tell you this, and, and I used it at another time, and he'd, I think he'd give me permission. <laughs> anyway, when he went away to college, he lived in the dorms, and he was heading back for Christmas break, and he said he had to stop somewhere, and then he was going to be home, and he comes home, and you know what that stop was? He had bought a boa constrictor. Boa constrictor? Zeus. Uh, you're going to have this, don't you be laughing, girl. Don't you be laughing, Okay. The boys are a little bit different than girls. I'm just telling you. I'll send you some pictures of Zeus once in a while. So anyway, he buys Zeus. And of course, Zeus has to stay at Christmas. And it's in a nice aquarium and everything. And then when he went back to college, he, he took it with him. And, uh, and when we would go visit him, you know, I just wouldn't look over there. So anyway, then he was going on a mission trip to Ethiopia. And what was going to happen to Zeus? Well, Zeus came into his bedroom and, um, you know, sat on, on top of this one dresser and, you know, and I, we had a big screen over it and I would take water and, you know, I'd be, hi Zeus, I gotta give you water. Be nice to me. Uh, don't bite my throat. Anyway. Um, and my husband would, would feed Zeus. Well, when our son came back to Ethiopia and went uh, back to school, the, the idea is, oh, you know what? I, I'm going to get him next week or, you know, I'm going to, and I'll sell him. I mean, I, I can make a lot of money and I'll help with college, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, Zeus was with us for about three years. And can I just tell you, Zeus got out at least twice. I know. And do you know, it's kind of hard to find a snake. You don't want to Google 
You don't want to Google facts about snakes that you can't find in your home because it is awful. Anyway, um, so we had Zeus and my, my husband would feed Zeus, which is pretty disgusting with the, you know, I refuse to do that. So finally, I just decided, you know what, I, I'm going to call, I'm going to get rid of the snake. And I told our son that I said, you know, you have a week. And I, anyway, so um, I called the local reptile place in Claremont. And I talked to the owner and I explained the situation. I said, Zeus is so sweet. And, you know, I don't want any money for Zeus. I will, I will be happy if you could sell him. And, you know, and she says, you know, we'll try it. You can, you can bring Zeus in tomorrow um, or this week. She said, you can bring Zeus in this week and, and, you know, we'll on a trial run. Well, we, (laughs) we go in the next day, got all of the equipment, got everything. And um, she's not there. She's off that day. And she's got two assistants. And so I, we explained, she promised us we could bring Zeus in and that, you know, you guys could maybe sell, make a lot of money. We don't want any of it. And they're like, okay, well, if she said it. And then they look at Zeus and they say, how old of a snake is Zeus? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like three or four, maybe five. And they're like, oh, something's wrong with that snake because it is way too small. That, that snake is the size of a snake that's less than a year. And I'm like, well, that's really weird because we feed that snake. And he goes, well, how often do you feed him? I said, well, you know, once every three weeks, which is what we were told. And I go, no, no, snakes like to eat once, once a week. I'm like, ooh, really? Ooh, I feel so bad. And then, and then he's like, you know, we can't take this snake. I'm like, she promised me, please. And then, so I'm into begging mode. We're going to go to the movies, by the way, after this. And I'm like, I am not taking Zeus with me. I'm like, okay, how about this? Please, 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 please. I'll give you my phone number. If there's anything wrong, you call me. And I begged and I begged. And finally they said, okay, you know, since she had said that, we'll, we'll take him, but you know, we'll call you. And I was tempted, unchristian me, was tempted to give them your phone number. Anyway, we left Zeus. We're, we're Zeus free for a month. I don't hear anything. I'm like, oh, praise be to God. We don't. And the second month, oh, praise be to God. I start to worry about Zeus. So I just want to follow up on Zeus. I mean, I did water Zeus every day for two to three years. And I called and I'm like, you know, I'm just, and I, I almost didn't say who I was and tried to call on something that didn't have my phone number. I think I called from the church or something. And I, I called and I said, I'm just, you know, I'm, we dropped Zeus off. How, how's Zeus doing? You know, did you find a good home? She goes, oh my goodness, Zeus has a great life. This is what they did. They put Zeus in an aquarium in the very front of the store so that you walk into the store Zeus is right there. And then they have a sign that says, feed Zeus for a dollar. Zeus was a big, fat, happy camper. The point is, what we feed in our life is what grows. You know, what we feed in our life, what we commit to, what we believe will give us happiness and when when Paul's writing this and he talks about the fact that, you know, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has overcome sin, Satan, and death. And as we have been baptized, uh, our, our, you know, the, the, the symbolism of our, our sins being put to death and rising to new life, we have a power over sin. And yet, we continue. We continue to feed the old self, believing that somehow it'll satisfy and That's a lie. We have a choice. Verse six, we are no longer slaves to sin. 
We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Can I, that deserves an amen. 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 Well, so with that, I want to challenge us then to choose God, to choose God. And I have a different scripture. There's, I mean, my goodness, this is like a fire hydrant. I mean, this scripture, right? I mean, this pat, this whole study, uh, just so there's so many wonderful passages, but I want to read actually a different one. I think that there's um, on choice it, to choose God. Let's see. Let me see. Verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. It's broken the power of sin. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desire. So right there, we see that there, there is that place of choice. There's, I mean, we're Presbyterians. We believe in the sovereign grace of God. And there is this tension then, you know, that the devil made me do it. Well, that, the devil and a little bit of our own sinful flesh, right? So, but we, it does, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. And, and that command then alludes to the fact that we could let parts of our body live in sin. So this is a choice. It's saying a choice. Um, verse 14, sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. So again, it's not our master. Verse 16, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? There's a choice. We choose to obey something. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So there's a choice. There, there, there's a choice we have. And I think the choice isn't just trying really, really hard not to sin. I'm going to be so much better today. I'm, I'm, so, I'm going to be so much, I'm going to try so much harder. I think it's pressing in into our relationship with God. It's not just about a list of don't do this and do this. You failed here, be better at this. Pressing in to the lover, the creator, the redeemer, the lover of our soul. A little girl got saved and be baptized. And she applied for membership at her church to be baptized. And the pastor said, were you a sinner? And the little girl said, yes. Pastor said, are you still a sinner? The little girl said, yes. Then what real changes have taken place in your life? And this little girl said, the best way I can explain it is that I used to be a sinner running after sin. Now I am a sinner running towards God. Ah, oh, I love that. And here, you know, just for the, the picture, it's not like God is running away from us. I mean, he's just right there running towards, he's a pursuer of our souls, of our hearts. John Ortberg, who's an eco-pastor, said, Many Christians expend so much energy and worry trying not to sin. The goal is not to try to sin less. In all your efforts to keep from sinning, what are you focusing on? Sin. God wants you to focus on him, to be with me, to abide in me, to relax and learn to enjoy his presence. Every day is a collection of moments, 86 1,400 seconds in a day. 
How many of them can you live with God? Start where you are and grow from there. God wants, he wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to know that you are loved and you are precious, choosing God, moving towards him, leaning into him, not staying where we are, but those daily steps towards God. Another story about a little girl. She had been put to bed by her parents one night and in the middle of the night, they hear this thump and they go into her room and they, you know, oh, she's on the floor. They pick her up, they put her in bed, cover her, you know, everything. They're walking out and the mom turns back and goes, why do you think you fell off bed, out of the bed? And she goes, because I stayed too close to where I got in. I stayed too close to where I got in, to the edge. And see, that's the thing about coming into relationship with God and just wanting to stay there. You know, we, with a fall and thud, we're going to fall no matter what. I mean, I, oh my goodness. I I mean, I, I love Psalm 19, the prayer of Psalm 19. I'm paraphrasing this, but I pray this not every day because I'd be lying and then I'd have to confess that, but about every third day, um, you know, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I don't even know about you know, forgive me for the things I'm doing or not doing that just break your heart. And I'm not even aware of them. I just, I just pray you'd cover them by the blood. And God, would you forgive me for the sins I do know about? (laughs) And I'm still choosing, and I'm still choosing to walk in it. I think as we look at this passage and our call uh, to, to walk in obedience, but joyful obedience, it's, it's resisting, yes, but it's replacing It's not just saying, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to do more to be better. But it's replacing it with this idea of a God that wants to be in relationship with us. I mean, it says in James, draw near to God. That is a command. Tied Every every command in scripture is tied to a promise. Draw near to God. And here's the promise. And he will draw near to you. There's another command. Resist the devil. And what's the promise? He will flee. And that's what happened in the desert with Jesus. He resisted the devil or the temptation. <laughs> Those temptations look good too, by the way. He resisted with the word of God and Satan fled, just, just like the scripture says. You know, we cannot um, stop all the attacks, all the temptations. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit too, but, you know, we can't stop birds dive bombing our head, but we can stop them from building a nest, right, in our hair. And that is the power that God gives us, the victory over sin. There's still all those temptations. It's not just to say no to the devil, but quite frankly, to say yes to God. Here I am. Yes, God. There's a passage in the Old Testament where Aaron, the priest, is being set apart, and Moses takes blood, and um, he adds it to his right ear and to his right thumb and to his right foot as he's set apart for ministry. And it's the idea, you know, be careful what you hear and be careful what you do and be careful where you go. You know, to choose to hear the word of God, to choose 
to open the word and submit ourselves to the beauty of God, to choose to walk in the way of faithfulness, to choose every day to lean in and know more about him. And, you know, little sins count. For far more people die of mosquito bites than of mad dogs. <laughs> but we protect ourselves against mad dogs. I have a coyote whistle. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's about this size. I got it from the city of San Dimas. Cheap. <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm, you know, the little things. Uh, pretty much all sin starts with a thought. You know, and it, it says in Corinthians that we take captive every thought and we, we submit it under the holiness of God. It, we have more power. I'm not sure who said this, somebody smarter than I, but it's this. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Our destiny is tied directly to our thought life that we, it begins and we have the most power to submit it to God at that point. So I want to close with this. Um, I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of this. This has been such a, a blessing in my own life. So, you know, I have um, um, other devotional stuff that I've been doing, but, you know, when I knew that I was going to need to prepare for today and it's kind of had a busy time, I committed a little over a week ago to start reading, um, Romans 6, 1 through Romans 7, 6, you know, every morning, a couple times in different translations. I'm like, oh my goodness, where do you even start? Oh Lord. You know, and it just, throughout it, I just want to tell you that God was just speaking to me. So I want to take this, and I, I just, this is a, later on in Romans, you see where God is speaking more to, but here it's really speaking to me. I want you to say, I want you to do this to yourself. This is speaking to me. This is, can you say that? This is speaking to me. This word is to me. God is speaking this to me. So yesterday I I did this same thing with Romans and I just, I felt so blessed. I just saw things and I was, I was praying for more of that in my life that, that I, I wouldn't, you know, straddle that fence and I wouldn't make excuses for sin. And cause I'm just really gifted at it anyway. Um, so I go for a walk and my, I normally walk with my best friend, one of my best friends. Uh, we've been walking for 30 years and she went out of town. So I walked by myself and I did a little call for somebody, prayed with them. I was feeling really good. I'm just, I'm just loving Romans six and I'm just feeling it and feeling close to God and, and praying it. And I'm walking along and there's this lemon tree. Well, I'm like a lemon tree. And you know how lemon trees grow? They, you know, there's the people's lemons and then there's the universe's lemons that, that, that nobody's going to pick. And then also there were lemons all around the bottom. I mean, really? I mean, and I would never, I would never go into Trader Joe's and steal a dozen Myers lemons. I mean, I just wouldn't, I'm not that kind of person. Okay. I just want you to know that about me. But as I'm walking, just, pressing into Jesus. I'm like, Ooh, I am out of lemons and nobody's going to be using these lemons. Lord knows I am only protecting those lemons from rotten. So I pick one. Here's that sweet lemon. Well, I don't know if it's sweet, but 
I kid you not. And listen, I don't think anybody's going to hell if they pick somebody's lemons. Okay. That's a, please don't, don't go home and, you know, think you're dying because anyway, I picked this lemon and totally justified because it was on, I think my side where I pay taxes, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm out of lemons and I really like to have warm lemonade, lemon in the morning. It's really good for you. Anyway, I took the lemon and I swear to you, I sense the Lord say, don't pick the lemons. Really, God, I mean, that you made these, you know, all God's gifts. No, I just sensed the Lord say, I didn't, I didn't hear him say, I don't love you. You pick another lemon, you're going to die. I mean, nothing like that. This, I mean, I was not Eve in the garden right there. But you see Eve in the garden justifying what she did, even though God was pretty darn clear. Yeah, but do you really mean, oh, you're going to keep something from me? Anyway, I took this lemon and I'm like, God says, don't pick any more lemons. I already picked this. Lord, I just wish you had said it before I had picked this lemon. And then I'm like, well, what do I do? I mean, it's seven in the morning. Am I supposed to knock on their door and confess to them? I mean, it looked like a loony. I mean, plus I'd probably wake them up. So there's another justification. So I put it in my pocket. I'm walking away and I keep thinking, ah, oh, Lord, I, should I go back? I don't know what to do, but let me sum up what I was thinking. What, but I just, again, I've done worse than this, trust me. I'm not saying I want to confess that I stole a lemon. Okay, but but here's the thing. I'd ask the Lord to nudge me. And I'd also ask the Lord to help me say yes to those nudges. <laughs> the Lord nudges me quite a bit. I'm not sure, you know, I don't always say yes. Sometimes I, I listen to, really, Lord, because it's on my side of the fence. But I really sensed, and I had prayed. So I put it in my pocket, and then I'm walking home, and I'm like, Lord, I, I, again, I'm thinking, should I go back and confess it? But I honestly didn't feel that nudge. I mean, I, I, I listened to it for a minute. I, maybe I disobeyed, but I didn't go back. Um, but I was thinking, I don't know exactly why that nudge, but I was thinking, you know, a lot of people in this neighborhood know that I'm a pastor. And then I'm thinking that that's a good picture. Hey, look at that pastor still in lemons off of somebody's street. <laughs> Anyway, so I brought it home. And by the way, I bought some lemons at Stater Brothers. So if you come to my house and you see a bowl of lemons, okay. Um, so I just wanted to use that. But see, God will speak to us. And I want to, reading the, the Romans and not just reading it, because the first time I read it, I'm like, what? You know, I needed it to, to get into my heart. And then I needed to pray it through to say, yeah, I, this is what I want. And I, I want more of you, Jesus. I really do. And I want to hear you. And again, that still small voice. And it's important that we listen to that still small voice because when we ignore it, pretty soon we don't hear, you know, the loud voice. We don't, we don't, we ignore it. Our hearts are hardened. So um, that was just a, a picture that God gave to me. Um, and I, so as we go into Lent, I was thinking about this um, because again, this last little over a week uh, in, in going through Romans. And I, I want to commend all of you for committing to a study like this because walking with other women in the word and in faithfulness helps us be accountable. When people can speak truth into our life, when somebody can say, I love you, but I don't think that that behavior is best. You know, when we start to open our mouth with the word of gossip, when we start to open our mouth with, you know, and then hopefully the body together can say, oh, honey, I love you so much, and God loves you, and I just, I just want to call you to walk in righteousness. 
um, and then bigger things, you know, that, and again, everything starts small. So, you know, somebody doesn't go into Trader Joe's and steal 12 lemons, you know, with <laughs> the, it's when you steal one and then another and, you know, but here's what I was thinking, um, because I love this idea of Lent that we start something or we give something up and that we do it for the glory of God. And I'm loving this Romans. So I'm going to continue uh, the Romans, but I want to show you something. The examine. Um, so this is uh, from the early church. And um, I don't know if we can bring it up there, but I, I have one. This is from um, Schizero, Pete Schizero. And if anybody wants it, I, I will give you one. I just didn't want to make, I mean, it's kind of expensive, this blue. I didn't want to, you know, waste it if people didn't want it. But here's one of the things I'm hoping to do. I thought about doing this quite a bit, but, you know, in the evening, um, so the idea of an examine is that at the end of the day, we stop and we give thanks to God for his goodness. And, and we ask him to shine light in, you know, into our hearts, because again, I can justify whatever I do. Well, you know why I was impatient, dear? Because you know what? You weren't very nice. And you know why I was impatient? Because I'm tired. And yeah, you know, we can excuse away our sin. But the examine, and this is just one example, and this looks at kind of the emotions where sin would um, follow. But it's the idea that we allow God to look into our life. And I have another one, which I'm going to be here in two weeks. I'll I'll bring it then and um, kind of a inventory, if you will, at the end of the day to look at our lives. So this is one, um, and I have used this because I've worked um, in in eco. I I did some of this work with um, emotional, healthy spirituality, which has been really good. Uh, But it's the idea that you stop, you thank God for the day, and you look back over the day, and you ask God to shine light, and you really look, you know, what am I, what have I been angry about today? You know, what am I sad about? What, what's just caused me sadness today? What have I been anxious about? You know, this maybe caused fear, maybe caused me to, um, you know, whatever it is. What am I glad about? And the back goes, what was the activity like for you? What did you learn? Um, but the idea is to look, this is not the only one. I just want you to know there's, you can find it online. You, it's, it's, it's been around forever, but but the idea is at the end of the day, you really do look back and you, you just say, Lord, you know, where, where maybe didn't I put a smile on your face? You know, where was I blind? Where did you nudge me? But I, I didn't listen. God, would you just forgive me? God, would you just soften my heart towards you? Not condemnation, not shame, not where was I a terrible person? Where did you hate me? No, 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 no. And refinding our identity in God, that our identity is not in anything we pursue in this world that we think will give us happiness, but as God pursues us and that we pursue God. Um, Anyway, that's just a thought. Um, Just encourage you during this time of Lent to maybe just think of just ways that you might lean into. It's different for everybody. You don't even have to tell a lot of people because, you know, you don't want to sit there and say, I'm giving up pride. I am just so good today. I I just was humble. I was so humble, you know, but just bring it before God. And then 
I heard this recently, actually at our eco-national gathering, um, John Mark Comer said this. He said, do you guys remember Jimmy Swagger? Not Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Baker. Remember Jimmy Baker? You know, he started out loving the Lord and, you know, God using him and, you know, obviously veered off with some sexual sin and embezzlement and, you know, I don't, I don't know what. Um, and so he was interviewed while he was in prison. And he was asked this question. When did you stop loving Jesus? And he thought about it and he said, I never stopped loving Jesus, but I stopped fearing God. I stopped fearing God. And I'm not talking about a fear where we cower in the corner, but that he is this holy God. And I think this week is, is as immersing my heart in this passage, I just thought, God, I want more of you in my life. I want more of that. I want, I want to know more of your love and your faithfulness. And, and I want to more push away the areas that, you know, aren't good for me because you love me so much. Um, and I know God will honor that. I know he'll speak. And when I pray, I pray for all of us is that as we take those steps you know, again, God is pursuing every single one of us that we would run towards him and that we would pray that he would give us a holy fear of him that calls us to a life that puts him first, that he is our master, that we submit fully. May it be so. I'm just going to ask for you to raise your hands if you'd like. Oh, precious Lord, thank you. Thank you for the great love that you have for each one of us here. Thank you that whatever past we have, wherever we have been enslaved, God, you want to free us. You freed us from the condemnation of sin. Now, we pray that you would help us walk in victory. Walk in a way that we are just pressing into you. And also, Lord, that it's walking in a way that we see that that is better than anything this world has to offer. I thank you for these ladies. I thank you for the faithfulness. And and what this means for this church is as this fellowship of women get together weekly and and study your word and pray, God, and, and, and how they have strengthened this church. I just pray that it would continue and that, God, you would bring each one of us into a deeper place with you, that in all things you would be glorified. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.